Roger is in the house. Here he is. Finally, finally we're here. Finally we're here, brother. Ah, What's going on? Mate, I'm happy to be here, bro. Like, <laughs> it's been a while. You you know, everybody's been trying to get me to come, but uh, I'm glad I finally decided to show up. Well, you're a gangster. <laughs> I, I, I said it in my uh, podcast with uh, Mitchie Revs. Mitchie Revs wants to get you on the podcast too. Dude, I, like yeah, the last episode. Art Talks, yeah. Yeah, that was so nice, man. When I was listening to it and I was like, man, you know, it's really, really lovely of you and him, you know. Well, I think you, um, well, we'll get into it, but it's like you got to recognise that you're a person that has a big energy in a room. Even though you're softly spoken, mm. um, you're not a big guy physically, but you have a big impact on people. And I guess that's probably why most of the boys want to want to hear you on here. So mm. hey, what we'll do is we'll uh, hear from the sponsors and we'll get on with it. Yes, sir. The podcast is supported by CMBT Nutrition. Fuel your passion. You're doing that work on the mats. You need that pre. You need those BCAAs. You need that protein hit for recovery afterwards. You need a snack. These guys have the best bars going around. My favorite is the salted caramel. Trusted by the 145 UFC champion of the world, Alexander the Great Volkanovsky, head over to cmbt.com.au and fuel your passion. We get to the point. Roach is in the motherfucking house. <laughs> What's happening, brother? No, man, dude, that intro is undefeated, bro. It's so good. Like, yeah. Shout out to Johnny Lev's boy. Oh. Yeah. That was, um. so my um, my partner in this who does all, like, my audio and all the other stuff that he gets to do all the shit stuff. I get to do the glamorous stuff, which is yeah. pretty cool. Um, yeah, John made that music. Mm. Like, that's custom-made music for our podcast. So good. It's madness, man. Like, it's madness to think that, you know, I've got all the originals of how that developed. So that was, like, the sixth stage of it. So mm. it started off as, like, a, a real fast uh, instrumental and then it got slower and then yeah. it got a bit dirtier. And then, mm. yeah, once I heard that version of it, I was like, damn, that's dude, so sick. <laughs> stage. Pull that mic closer to you, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get it up close to you. Yeah, yeah. Get it up close to you. Now, as as we know, the uh, the people have spoken. You've answered the people's request. Yeah, <laughs> we're here now. Yes, mate. Yeah. Give us an introduction. Who is the man that everyone's been talking about? So my name is Roger. I was born in Congo. I grew up in Uganda. Um, yeah, we lived there for eight years in a refugee camp. My family though originally comes from Rwanda, so. Like um, in, in Congo, there's a part of Congo where there's a lot of Rwandans who've been there for I don't know how long, but like even there, Kenya, Rwanda, the language sounds different to the one in in Rwanda. They've been there that long. Wow. So, yeah, when you ask me like, who are you, where are you from? I feel torn to say I'm Rwandan because, you know, like I was born in Congo and my mom was born there, but my blood comes from Rwanda and... I grew up in Uganda. That's where I lived the longest in Africa. So, yeah, that's pretty much me. I'm a nurse. I'm an Australian now as well. 
and you're a badass motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the, um, um, yeah, do you, do you know much about like your heritage and the Rwandans and stuff like that? Oh yeah, for sure. Like it, di- it didn't matter where I was. Like we, you know, in my home, like at home, we s- I speak in Rwanda to this day. Just my mom can barely speak English, so. For me, I speak it fluently, but my brothers, like, they they can't speak it, but they understand everything. So when they're talking to my mom, they talk in English. She re- responds in Kenya, Rwanda. Yeah. And it's just this, yeah, they're all just confused. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, is there a, a different tongue or is there a different mm-hmm. language for Congo? Yeah, so Congo has, has a lot. I think they speak Swahili. They speak... Uh, Lingala as well, and a whole bunch of others. But the main ones is like Swahili, Lingala, and French as well. Oh, wow. Yeah. We're having some technical difficulties here. Mm. Wait, stop. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Raj. All good? Wow. Yeah. Hey, we're good, bro. <laughs> yes. Take two. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so the, there's a lot of different dialects and a, lo- a lot of different languages that are sp- spoken. So is Congo more like a hub that a lot of, like a lot of different Africans go to? Mm. Um, Sorry, I'm so naive with this shit. Nah, dude. I, yeah, Congo. It's just a country with different heaps of different tribes. Yeah, and like it, I guess the way I got to come to Australia, because uh, yeah, Congo. In Congo, they say we're not Congolese because technically we're not really. And in Rwanda, they say we're not Rwandans because we kind of. Like I was born there, my mom was born there, but my grandparents just mi- migrated to Congo a long time ago. They, like my tribe, they, they're like obsessed with cows. Okay. So they they travel different places to find like where there's like better grass, better land, and so my grandparents went to, to Congo with their cattle, and they had they lived there ever since, and they consider themselves Congolese, even though. They kind of not really. Anyway, when the wars happened, we ended up going to Uganda. So we're kind of like sitting in this like refugee camp. We're not really Ugandans. We're not, you know, Congolese. We're not Rwan- uh, Rwandan. So we're just like ah, and um, there and was. Ha- a, and how long ago was this, mm, bro? Uh, we came to Australia in two thousand and seven. Yeah. Yeah. So um, so up until two thousand and seven, what was it like? living and being born and raised in Africa. And uh, honestly, like when I was younger, because I mean, when I came here, I was 12. So I still remember, you know, like when I closed my eyes, I know where we used to go fetch water. I know where I was like a shepherd. I took my goats in the, you know, to graze. I can remember all these things. Wow. Yeah. So like, I, I never, I, I don't think I thought like life is hard or like, oh, this is like really bad because we didn't have TV. Like if you had a radio, you were super like everybody like will be listening to the English Premier League on the radio and like everyone would just gather and like listen to it. So I just thought everyone lived like me, you know. But yeah, now I'm in Australia. When I think about it, like it was not like, Compared to how I'm living now, it's just like yeah. But in all honesty, bro, like you, like you only know what you know, mm-hmm. and just hearing that you going, look, I can close my eyes and go back to you know, you know, leading my goats and to pastures and whatever else. Mm-hmm. 
I think a lot of us people now, especially what we're going through, like with these pandemics and whatever else, I would love to get the fuck into that moment. I would love mm-hmm. to not have a TV and not have, like, yeah, it's great to have technology and whatever else, but man, there's there's something special in that sort of connection that you have with your land and mm-hmm. your community and your tribe, which you kind of it gets diver- it's diversified because of all the technology and safety nets that we do have, I guess, in Australia. Yeah, it's beautiful and safe, but it's mm. that tribe and community would be also pretty awesome. Mm. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, like I have a huge connection with like nature. Even when you go on Instagram, like I feel like when I'm in the mountains, like I feel like I'm, I'm home, you uh, know. That's literally where I grew up. Like uh, when I was younger, I didn't go to school. Like my my parents were working in the fields, you know, because uh, you pretty much ate what you grew. And I had to look after my goats. And we were super lucky, man, because when we first arrived in Uganda, it was really hard because we, we, like, the only food you could eat is what you got from the uh, Red Cross, which was like they'll give you a bit of flour, a bit of oil, bit of beans maybe so it was hard but then after that you know we got a, f- a bit like they gave us a little bit of land and you can grow your own food so yeah we'd grow like potatoes sorghum beans a whole bunch of stuff so wow that's so cool yeah. man wow that's super cool yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what was it like mm. obviously you know you fast forward to 2012 2007 2012 seven 2007 yeah. Um, and you, you, what you on a plane, yeah, on a jet plane, and then you get to a, like where Sydney Airport, yeah. What the fuck were you thinking? Like, were you just <sighs> like, what the hell are all these white people doing? Yeah, <laughs> bro. It's honestly sometimes I think I'm lucky, but that's not even the word to describe it. Like, well, how about the people that are still there? Like, yeah, man. Like, I mean, even the way we got to come, like, we never asked for it. It's just our name kind of like came up and in my village we were the first few people to get picked and a lot of people were like oh like don't go in Australia like we've never heard of Australia like it's some of my friends would be like were saying oh like if you go to Australia there's a lot of white people they bring guns to our country they're gonna make you a slave maybe they'd hold like the African-American thing yeah and I was like really scared um and, like, of course, like, I, I always tell this story to people, like, when we got to the airport and the closest I'd gone to see a plane was in the sky and it looked, like, so small. So in my head, I thought when I get to the airport, I'm going to have my own plane, my brother will have his own plane. Because I was like, how can something, like, big be able to fly? It has to be really tiny. And when I saw it, Dude, I was I literally thought I was dead. Like I, <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, I was like, there's no way this thing like bigger than you know. Like how is this gonna go in the sky? It just it didn't make uh sense to me. Dude, I still look at it and like how the fuck do we how does this it's work? It's crazy. It's crazy, eh? Yeah. And I was you know, like from cause we flew from Uganda, uh Entebbe Airport to Dubai and then to Sydney, I think. Um but yeah, dude. Even in the in inside the plane, like we didn't know how to use because none of us spoke a single word of English. Like we didn't know how to operate anything on the screen. The food we were struggling to eat anything on the plane. We barely ate anything, and it was a long flight. It would have been so foreign for your body, man. Yeah, we didn't know where we were going, dude. 
oh, there's so many weird stories that one time, because when they brought us, they put us straight in uh, Newcastle in like some big like 10th floor. And well, like uh, it must have been close to like New Year's Eve when the fireworks were going. And like um, the fireworks started going and we were freaking out. We thought there was like a war. And mom was like, oh, you need to call triple zero. Because in Uganda, they told us in Australia, they use this number. If you're in trouble, you just got to <laughs> call it. And so I, I called triple zero, couldn't speak English. I don't even know what I was saying, but dude, we were like, because we, we didn't know how to get down in the elevator. And like, oh, it was weird. Wow, man. <laughs> yeah. That's so crazy. Yeah. It's it's so crazy because like, obviously I've seen a, a, the, the Polish product, right? Mm. You speak English very well. You've done you know super well for yourself in life. You know mm-hmm. everybody loves you. Any you come in contact with this guy and you can't fucking not love him. And to think that there was a time when you couldn't even mm-hmm. operate a fucking iPad on a yeah. sc- on a on a on a um on a plane yeah. and not even handle the food in your stomach because you mm-hmm. you lived off the most organic, mm-hmm. freshest farm to table. Mm-hmm. Like people pay so much more money here in Australia yep. to eat quality food like that and you're yeah. growing it yourselves. Pretty much. Don't you think that's a trip? Dude, it's, yeah, it's wild, man. Well, like, my mom is very healthy, you know. Even now, like, if you come to my house, she's got, like, a, a whole bunch, you know. Like, when it's in season, she grows corn, she grows beans, potatoes, like, taro, um, what else, like, cassava, all we... You know, we're pretty much eating the same stuff we I will eating happily take an invite from your mum to come to dinner. One hundred percent. You'll be welcome. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I like I'm still trying to digest just that in general. Like uh you know, I didn't grow up obviously how you did. I grew up in housing commission, mm-hmm. you know, I never thought I would go on a plane. I never thought I would own my own car or anything mm. like that because, you know, people like me from where I come from, you don't have those things. You struggle, mm. you steal to get things, you know, that's the sort of life when you're um when you're brought up in, in that environment. Yeah. So the fact that you you guys came from like literally growing your own food mm. to ending up in Newcastle in, you know, a, an apartment block where fireworks are going off, you think you're under attack and you don't even know how to get back down the elevator. Mm. That's crazy. No, bro. I'm just so, so lucky, bro. I don't take anything for granted. Like, And I think a lot of people should, man, I, I, I practice gratitude every day. Mm. Whether I write it down, I say it to myself, anything like that. Um, I know what having nothing and the trauma that it causes and the angst and anxiety that it causes. So when I wake up every day next to my beautiful wife, mm. have my beautiful dogs, have the luxury of having a hot shower, being able to afford electricity, mm. I open my blinds, I have a 180 degree view of the water, which mm. is the most calming thing for me. Like the water is like my thing. Yeah. Um, I just think, man, fuck, I'm so blessed. Like, I'm mm-hmm. so blessed that uh, statistic-wise, I should have never, ever, ever gotten to where I've gotten. Mm-hmm. And then you look at it from another extremity. It's like you were fucking herding goat, your own goats. Like, that was, like, 
that was your your biggest thing in the world. Your biggest thing every day was I gotta look after my goats, make sure they're fed. Mm. I do my part as my part of the tribe. Mm. And then next minute, like you're rolling in here in a car. Yep. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you're rocking up in a car. You're yeah. sitting on a podcast, but speaking probably better English than I do. Yeah. <laughs> do you know it's what crazy. I mean? That's a trip, dude. Yeah. Massive trip. Yeah. And what what was it like? Because um, obviously they would have gone. But Rajesh, you're. This old, so you should be in year five mm. or year six. Like, mm. like with, with schooling and adapting you into Westernized world, mm. what did they do? Did they did they give you like tutors or anything, or did they just mm. throw you into the deep end? Man, dude, it was crazy because like I never went to school when I was in Uganda, and like the people who did, like you being in like you, you know, year two, three, year seven, it's like a big deal. Like in Africa, man, like you will not grade until you you have to prove yourself you got to be smart and i get here and boom they drop me in year seven i can't even write my own name man i was scared bro like you know like i literally you know primary school that's where you develop you know you develop all your fundamental maths and like yeah. english how to write properly yep. make sentences and here i was in year seven the only thing i was good at is soccer like i was a crazy soccer player man and Dude, like, so it was really hard. And, like, most, uh, from, like, year seven to year nine, most of the time when we had, like, maths or science, I would go to the library to uh, learn how to, like, speak English properly, how to write it. And so even to this day, bro, like, my, I feel like my knowledge is, like, you know, I've just skipped so many levels. Like, you can ask me some basic stuff, and I'm like, I don't know, because I just missed that. Well, I will throw this back at you. You mm. could ask me that same basic stuff and I couldn't answer you. Mm. So growing, like for, for myself, you know, from especially until probably mid-high mid school, like my whole primary school, man, like my parents were both, you know, um, heroin addicts. Mm. So I missed most of year one, most of year two, most mm. of year three, most of year four, most of year five. So, like, by the time, like, I kind of had somewhat of a stable home mm. was around that year five, year six. And I'm not too sure if you did the same thing, like, in the early days. It's like you sit there and do – like, for me, I would cause trouble. I would mm. be funny, make people laugh, throw something at the teacher because yeah. I was like, I don't know how to do this. Mm. So the only way I can get out of this is by misbehaving or being a class clown. Mm. But, like, deep down the roots of it was like, I don't fucking know what I'm doing. Yeah. I've missed so much of those, as you said, foundational years yeah. of, you know, motor skills on how to – man, you look at my handwriting, you'd be like, how did you grow up in this country? Yeah, that's me. <laughs> it's horrendous. Yeah. <laughs> and it's – um. I don't know, like it's kind of mm. crazy that you, know, you saying that, I'm like, holy shit, man, like, that was kind mm. of my experience through primary mm. school and most of high school. I kind of didn't develop later until I yeah. started putting a bit of time and effort into it. Dude, that's insane. I mean, honestly, like I've heard a little bit of your story as well from like uh, the previous like uh, uh, podcast as well. Yeah. I mean, you kind of are living like me. You kind of grew up like me in a bit, you know, because um, – I mean, it's just, like, super inspiring to see where you are, like, right now. Like, me and my, even in Australia, like, we grew up in housing commission, but, you know, it's like, dude, it's, it's we have enough food to eat, we're warm, and, you know, there's love in the house, like, so, like, man, like, looking at you, growing up in, like, a, a home where your parents were, like, addicted to, to drugs, and, like, man, you're filled with so much love. Every time, like, when I first met you, I was like, man, this guy, 
you see a pasta or something like you just honestly you just yeah it just goes to show like it doesn't matter where you are like right now like the future is not like broken and finished bro like you can always you can always like better yourself like even if it seems like it's never gonna happen like i'm sure when you you know a 12 15 year old there's no way you imagine you would be here man like you're no living way. out on the lake you got your own studio and it's like man it's it's so inspiring thank you bro i really appreciate those words i really really do and um i spent a lot of like my late teens and my especially my 20s i guess you know when you you grow up in a certain way mm. um you protect yourself so the way that i protected myself was i had a big persona mm. i would scare people away by being this you know this crazy you know the d train like the d train was like my <laughs> alter ego you know what i mean yeah. this big personality was super intense but it was actually just a front because i was just a scared little boy man mm. to be honest with you and once you um remove the ego and the arrogance which is fueled by insecurities mm. you get back to like almost yourself before you were corrupted by your conscious and the world around you mm. and it's like you know i i make it a, a thing of mine that i always pay things forward every day like i always do a random act of kindness mm. and i always try and be the nicest i always try and be the guy in the room i always want to be the guy in the room that when i leave that room someone goes that's a, he's such a nice guy because yeah. for a lot of my life man i was people thought i was a fucking dickhead because mm. of that ego and that insecurity yeah so it's really nice to hear that thank you oh, bro well, you're definitely accomplishing a <laughs> like, you're a big dude but like you just feel just so much just yeah and as you said man like um i say this often like maslow's hierarchy is like um you know abraham maslow wrote this in the you know, 1800s which was like all you need is food air water mm. love self self-actualization self-esteem mm. anything else from that is whatever you want it to be yeah. but like as long as you've got a roof over your head you've got love around you fresh air to to, to breathe and and water to drink mm. is not much more a human being actually needs man definitely jeez and uh yeah that's that's super encouraging yeah it's cool man like it's 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 amazing and it's i throw it back to you and go you know you know hearing that story and you know knowing your journey you being able to drive a fucking car mm. be a nurse at a hospital yeah. do you know what i mean like you're doing things that you know a, a lot of people from the african community mm. man e just anyone in general like yeah. even myself i sit there and go Man, right, Raj is a bad motherfucker. Like, if he's doing that, I need to step my game up, man. Uh, I'm fucking white and privileged. I need to fucking, <laughs> I need to step this shit up. You yeah. know what I mean? And if you got people like that around you, mm. like, I think that's why we're so lucky with, with Ronan, man. Mm. Like, it's um, it's a group of people who are such good individuals, mm. and they make everyone else better around them. For sure. And if you got people that environment and people like that around you. You only have one fucking avenue to go and that's successful definitely definitely man like i've definitely had so many people who have like encouraged me who have like who have wanted to make proud you know like even um in primary school i had this teacher mrs ross legend in high school i had this um 
Josh Brown. I'm friends with him now even, but like just people who, even when I was like, there's no way I'm ever going to amount to anything. I'm just going to go straight to the chicken factory, like, you know. But they're like, man, like you're really smart. And I put, I tried the hardest as I can. And But yeah, people that, you know, who believed in me and I'm like, man, like I really want to do the best I can for them. And for me, I always, I've always had this fear of like, you know, if I have a family, I don't want my children to like want something. Because like, you know, in high school, there was many excursions I missed because I didn't want to ask my mom for money. And I don't want my kids to have to worry about stuff like that. And feel you bro yeah like you know but yeah there's yeah i just i feel like i always see people um you know i grew up without a dad but i always um yeah saw people that i wanted to be like when i grew up and i i know even at age 15 i'd always like just be like okay like i want to know a bit more about this person you know 100 percent, dude i i reference you know um Greeny a lot like Nathan Green's a, a my mentor man like mm. he like a big brother you know a, a big brother that I never had and um you know through a, a a very um I guess influential part of my life you know 18 years of age it's like you know am I gonna play footy anymore like am I gonna do this I was so lost and watching him you know as a a guy who didn't even know me mm. had no reason to open his door to me you know I went through a lot of crap, lost my license. He'd hide my keys from me when I'd go to drive unlicensed. And, you know, someone who actually genuinely cared for me. Yeah. And he's been such a um, such a role model for me growing into the person I wanted to be in life, being successful, um, the husband I wanted to be, the mm-hmm. father I wanted to be. Um, and I guess when you don't – if you don't have that mm. – you've got this really cool opportunity to go, well, hold on a second, who's around me? Yeah. And who do I want to take inspiration from mm. and take guidance from? And you let those people help mould and shape who you are. Sure. And that's that in itself is fucking pretty cool, man. Mm. Like, But you have to be the type of person who wants to do that. You, there's two types of people. You either want to go find something better for yourself mm. or you sit there and cry about what you don't have and that's why you're a fucking absolute savage because you're like well i'm going this route literally i mean like i think every single one of us has got that inner thing where you're just like not satisfied and like because i'm more than sure there's no one who's just sitting there like you know just who is hungry and they're just like oh yeah i'm happy with this like you, you can either, like, ignore that feeling or be like, oh, like, nah, man, like, I, I don't want to be like this. I don't want this to be me, like, forever. And just, like, keep taking small steps. Like, it's it's not going to happen, like, straight away. But as long as you're working on it, because, like, I felt when I was a uni man my first year, dude, it was so hard. I, I just, yeah, I did not think I would finish, yeah, the nursing school because all the sciences I'd miss and, like, uh, the... the math stuff it was so hard man but i just kept chipping at it slowly and like second year i was getting like distinctions i was like so if i quit hard like when i started yeah it wouldn't have been good well there's a a little lesson in that right Mm. that's like you know shit's always going to be hard i'm not too sure about the quote but it's like (laughs) the the muhammad ali quote and it's like you know you can live your life with two types of pain the pain of discipline and being successful the 
um, the pain of being lazy and being disappointed. Mm. Like it's 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 up to you, man. Like yeah, shit can be hard, but also if you're trying and you're reaching out to lecturers and professors and whatever else and saying, hey, man, look, you know, I really want to get this done. It's amazing if you put in an effort mm. and you reach out for help. Yeah. People want to help you and see you succeed if 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 you make the effort to. Yeah, man. Like that's one of the, like I learned that from the beginning, bro. Like, cause like honestly, like. If you do ask for help, like most people are not going to say no. Like they're going to be like, this guy wants to get better. I'm going to do everything I can to get help them. Like, because even for me, like if someone asks me for help, man, they come to me, I'm going to honor that. Like I will do everything I can to like, you know, help them out in whatever way I can. What was that like? What was it like for you getting accepted into university? Like, were you so proud of yourself? Dude, so actually when I finished um high school i didn't get in straight away and man like trust me i put in so much effort like um my friends simon and laura who live in canberra like i in the holidays i went to canberra stayed with them like i was putting in like so much with my hsc but i still didn't get enough marks to get in nursing so i did i went to avondale college did the um it's like a six-month program like a bridging course? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I did that. Then finally I got into nursing and, dude, I was I was so happy. I was really nervous, you know. Um, but I I got in and, yeah, man, I'm, yeah, it was definitely, the first year was just very, very hard for me. Like the, the math, we have this uh, math and pharmacology test where, you do it every single semester and you have to get a hundred percent every if you miss even one you have to like um redo it uh they give you three chances and if you fail then you fail the whole unit and that that quiz used to give me headaches every semester i would just but yeah i just kept going i asked for help to the lecture and shit like um at lunchtime she would help give me give me a hand with my maths and yeah eventually i yeah i got it and the pain of going through something like that, I'm not, I'm not, you know, accepting to all ways of academia, but there is certain tests that a university w- will put forward to you that when you actually get into the real world, mm. you're able to sustain the um, like composure in a time. Like, cause obviously you're a nurse, man, you yeah. know what I mean? So like you're reading charts, shit can happen quickly at a drop of a hat. Sure. Nine times out of 10, you guys are well understaffed, overworked mm-hmm. and under fucking paid. Sure. So like, you know, being put under these stress tests and um, and under stresses in the in university mm-hmm. actually really does um, correlate when you go into the work environment. Mm-hmm. But not only that, I guess doing, doing a uni degree sucks ass, man. Yeah, And it's like, you know, if you're in debt, at the end of it, you like you go to the bottom of the payroll, yeah. and then there's these new fa- challenges that you face in your job learning as well. Yeah. But I think the gratification that you get from persevering through those fucking hard times mm-hmm. and getting to the end of it and going, "Holy shit, I finished high school. I should have never even been there. Yeah. I got accepted into university. Yeah. I should have never even been there. Yeah. I've just finished." Union degree and I'm working in a medical field now. Yeah. I should have never ever been here. Yeah. That's what how does that feel for you, man? Dude, it's insane. Like now, like me listening to you say that, I'm like, holy cow, like it's um 
Dude, sometimes we forget. We forget those moments and the, how hard they were because I remember doing nights where I'd just be up from like until like six in the morning. My eyes are short red and I'm, I'm pushing to finish it. <clears throat> and like there's so many like milestones where you just like we should always reflect and be like, man, anytime you feel down, you're just like, dude, you can do it because you did that. And like, you know, you got up and did it again and again. And dude, I'm just like... Yeah, I'm really glad I pushed through. I'm um, glad I could be an example to my younger brothers, and yeah, to even like a, you know all the the like younger African uh, guys who have been like me come from like every single person you see, man, from like a refugee ba- background, we all have a similar story. Hundred percent. So like for me doing it like this, like it's not. I'm definitely not smart. I'm not book smart. So it just goes to show, man, you put in effort, like you can do anything you want to do. You know? 100%, man. Yeah. Like, um, so my grandfather survived the Holocaust in Poland, Jewish, Polish, um, came to Australia. Father, like most of his family in Poland, all all dead. Mm-hmm. Um, got here when he was eight, at nine years of age. His mother was murdered in front of him in a, um, in a camp in Daruk in Cronulla. Mm-hmm. So my grandfather was nine years old, couldn't speak the language couldn't you know do anything survived on his own mm. and um and it's like that was that wasn't that long ago do you know what yeah. i mean like yeah. i'm the second generation of that or third generation of that <laughs> um mass not my strong point um and you know i kind of look at like so my grandfather and then you know my mom and then me it's mm. like my grandfather wasn't that wasn't too long ago man and the evolution from that to that to to where i am Mm. is fucking crazy dude and it's like you're like you're gonna be that like you're the the change Mm. you're the the one that you know stuck your fucking fork in the ground and went nah man i'm fucking i'm doing this Mm. is there much is there a a, a big african african community in newcastle there is, um, I think there's not many Rwandans, but there's a lot of like uh, Sudanese, yep. a lot of like, uh, I think Sierra Leone and like Nigerians, Sudanese. But yeah, not, not many Rwandans, but my mom has some friends from like Burundi. She can speak Swahili, so like uh, a few t- Tanzanian and like Congolese she can hang with. Yep. But um. Dude, yeah, for like older people, bro, like it is so difficult. Like I, I just feel so bad for my mom sometimes, you know, like for younger people, man, it's easier to make friends. Like for me, you know, I went to school, but for her, you know, she's literally, dude, my mom is a soldier, bro. Like the thing she's been through is just astronomical. Like the trauma she's been through is just like ridiculous. And for her, like being here, man, like I just feel like sometimes... She, because I mean, Australia is wonderful, but she definitely misses Africa. She misses like her, you know, friends and like family. She misses like going in the garden and growing stuff. Um, but yeah, she's just happy because her sons are healthy. Like, you know, they, they got uh, education. But yeah, man, it's hard. Dude, she must be so proud of you. Mm. Like to go through what she's gone through and the sacrifices that she's made. To see, you know, her older son absolutely slaying it. Mm. That's fucking pretty cool, man. Yeah, she's pretty happy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, man, she's got a lot to be happy about. 
Nah, man. Like, she, she deserves it, man. Like, and I always want to make her proud, bro, because, you know, uh, she told me this story. Um, I, like, I, well, maybe, like, n- not, not long ago. And yeah. me and her were having a bit of altercation and... And she's like, Roger, like, you, you need to, like, respect me. You have no idea what I have went through to, like, keep you alive. And she was telling me this story of how uh, it was some war in Congo. And um, she pretty much, these guys came and got her from the house. It was her and this other woman. And they were going to kill them. And I was a baby on her back. And they asked her if I was a boy or a girl. And she said... She said I was a girl because if she'd said I was a boy, like they would have just killed me right there. And like you know, one of the guys she went to church with, um, like the main leader, went to find more people to gather them to kill them. Um, anyway, a guy who she went to church with, like let them escape, and she was walking in like her and her friend walking through like bushes at night time for like days until they reached like a Catholic church. And yeah, man, like she just telling me like the, that whole time, like she was not scared of like a snake or a lion. She was scared to see a human being. And that is just heartbreaking, bro. And like, you know, while walking, like the amount of like dead, body, dead bodies she'd see on the ground. And, <clears throat> but dude, if you see my mom, I'm telling you, she's the happiest person. You will never, she's always smiling. She She never gets angry for a long time. And, but, uh, you know, like, she's gone a lot better. But, like, when we first came to Australia, she used to have nightmares. But, um, yeah, man, so I want to make her really proud. Man, that is absolutely insane. That's bananas, dude. What about the natural instincts of a mother to protect her child to go know that you're a girl? Yeah. That's, that's bananas, man. Dude, it's, yeah, but she's, <coughs> even in Uganda, bro, like, she... She doesn't have, like, any education at all. But, like, my mom is, like, a black belt in survival, bro. Like, she <laughs> raised, like, three boys, you know, by herself, working like crazy. Grow- like, I mean, dude, in Uganda, like, we were not rich, but, like, she was so smart, you know. We started off by, you know, uh, like, she grew a lot of, like, uh, sorghum. It's, like, a, a grain. You can make, like, drinks from it. Um, anyway, like she'd grow that, she'd sell it, she bought a whole bunch of chickens, sold the chickens, bought some goats. By the time we left Uganda, bro, we were in a refugee camp, but we had we had like twenty something goats and one cow. And dude, if you have that, you're solid, man. Like if you're sick, you can just sell a goat. And you know, so like when people like look down on people who don't so, have so so a, so a cow's like Bitcoin and a goat's like dude, Ethereum. What? <laughs> For sure, man. So, like, yeah. You what, should, a, what a savage. She, she's a beast, man. You should never look down on someone. Because, like, you know, when you see her now, you're just like, oh, look at this little old lady. But, like, she's very smart, man. Like, she's good with money. Black belt and survival. I fucking yeah. love that, man. You should get <laughs> her a shirt made with that on it. Dude, it's chilly, <laughs> I, I like that. Crazy. Um, absolutely crazy. What a story. Like, mm. it's amazing a mother's love and what she will do to protect her babies. Mm. Um, which kind of always got me a lot in, you know, like I, I questioned a lot in my years going, 
how can you choose a drug over me? Mm. Like, how could you have chosen your addiction to a drug mm. over your child? Like, it's absolute madness. Hard questions, bro. It's um, it is, man. Like, it's it's fucking crazy. And the fact that you know she walked through the bush and didn't give a fuck about lions, mm. all she feared was a, a fucking human being. Mm. That's crazy. That's so crazy. Mm. So I could only imagine what her like. She made that sacrifice to bring you guys here. But going through her mind, she would have been like, fuck, I'm just, what am I walking my, my family into with all these white people? Literally, just <laughs> imagine, like, yeah, imagine, like, you just, somebody just plucks you out of, like, this place that you know so well, and they drop you, like, I don't know, in, like, China or somewhere where you don't understand the language, you don't understand. And your mum's like, like the Jeff you know. Bezos of fucking... <laughs> Yeah, dude. Yeah, it's 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 very, uh, it's very scary. I think. Man, that's so crazy. And in terms of like, um, if you don't, you got to follow Rose's, um, his poetry page. Like, it's fucking crazy. Shout it out. What, what's the oh. what's the handle? Oh yeah, Roger Poetry. Roger like, Poetry. Yeah. I, I'm gonna put it. I'll put it in the Instagram. So, um, get around it. Um, so in terms of like, um, your slam poetry yeah. and your art. Do you feel like your your roots of that are, are from like your African times? And because mm. you hear it, like uh, I listened to one the other day. It was the one on YouTube? Mm. Um, Afro president is that what it's called? Was it a was it a short one? Yeah, uh, it was a um, oh or like a compilation of like a whole bunch. No, no, no. It was one. Yeah. It was you in a. It's a you standing up with a microphone. There's a video. Oh yeah, yeah. There's a yeah, yeah. And I was like the first like probably seven lines mm. i went back and listened to it over and i'm like holy fucking shit so heavy mm. like for someone who didn't know english write english speak english how did words mm. come to you and being able to produce this amazing art using words so man like growing up i literally used to think like to be able to write i need to have being born in like a you know in Australia or it's like somewhere where English was the main language, you know. But I've always loved words. Like I'd always call like even now on my phone I have like every time I hear like a nice sounding word I just write it down and see what it means. And so yeah, the way I got introduced to poetry was like my English teacher introduced me to this American poet Anis Mojgani. This poem called "Shake the Dust." And I was like, man, like this is really cool. And, and yeah, me and him would like, I'd write stuff, I'd show him and he'd, you know, like give me uh, tips how to make him better. And But growing up, man, I was the most like unconfident, just super quiet, bro. I'm still quiet, but I feel like I'm not afraid. Like I'm, I'm just like confident within myself, but I'm just not, I'm not a, uh, what's the word? I don't know. I'm just like way too mellow, bro. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. You're a fucking, you're, you're a cool cat. That's for sure. Uh, yeah. Keep, keep going. I uh, want to know more about the poetry, man. You're not stopping there. Nah. So, um, how did I start? Yeah. So, um, my friend told me cause I, I'd been showing him some of my stuff and he's like, dude, there's like a, a slam poetry competition in Newcastle. So you should, you should go in there. And at that point I only had like, one poem which was about my dad and then I had one poem about 
old people, which, um, <clears throat> yeah, he kind of talked about like the way I saw old people treated in Australia and the way old people were treated back home. And I'm um, yes, uh, I went in this poem, like uh, slam poetry competitions. You have to do a poem that's like two minutes. If um, you have to have it memorized and the poem about my dad was too long, so I, you know, chopped it down into two minutes, memorized it. And I ended up coming third, me and this guy, Will Small from Central Coast Tide. And I was shocked, man. And uh, so me and him had to do like a, like another one to like battle it out. And I, I was like, look, I only have one more poem. I don't know if it fits in the two minute thing and I don't know, I have it memorized. And they're like, that's fine. You can read it off your phone. So, <clears throat> and the way our slam poetry works, like the, cr the crowd uh, picks the winner. They're like, they they vote. So it's like a rap battle. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. So we had um I did my poem, like Will Small, like one of like I love that guy's stuff, man. Like from there on, like I did heaps of stuff with Will and like he's helped me a lot. Um <coughs> so yeah, I did my poem, he did his and like they, they picked mine as the winner. But I feel like in the room there's so many old people and they just loved my poem because it was like you know, respecting them and showing them love. And, yeah, so I came third, which is, like, huge, man, because the top two go to the opera house. And if you win that, then you get a lot of money. You get to, like, tour around Australia with the Writers' Festival. It's huge. Wow. Yeah, but um, I just, I don't love going in competitions. Like, I just, I just perform for fun. Do it for yourself, man. Yeah. It's your way of expressing yourself and... That's um, that's super cool. And like, you know, I, I'm probably going to get you to do something for us when we when we wrap it up. Um, but I guess I like I want to know I want to know more about it. Like, I want to know like, does the competition side um, just not hit for you because it's more of an internal thing? Is it a way for you to express how you're feeling internally? The stuff that you're learning along the way, new words and mm. how you're ad how you're adapting things, um, mm. is that you know why the the written word is so so mm. and the, obviously the slam form as well. Yeah. So, so with poetry, I just love it because like, I mean, it definitely brings people together. You know, like uh, it's like art. You cannot, if I'm an artist and I paint something, you're not gonna go arguing with my painting like so with poetry like man i've i've i shared um poems about like africa with any crowd and they always vibe with it and even if they don't they, they don't argue with me because this is my truth and you can't argue with it i've shared poems about like um jesus in like pubs and people still like they're like ah oh, cool so yeah you're, you're religious yeah i'm a christian yep. So like um won't hold that against you. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm <yeah>. joking. Ah, <laughs> oh, jeez. No, but man, like I just love poetry. Like every time I go to slam poems, like, like slam, uh, like a uh, night open mic like, nights. Open mics, yeah. yeah, like dude, the amount of like things you hear, like just so like so many different stories, and like it's just like it's just like your podcast, man. You you bring people from like all walks of life, and they're sharing stuff that are, you know, straight from the heart. And like poetry, um, it's so many people think it's all about like rules. You need to like do like a rhyme, a metaphor, blah, blah. 
I don't do that stuff. Like I'm not intentionally focusing to do that. The, of course, when it comes, it comes, but I'm not forcing it. I, I just feel like as long as you're being honest and you're telling the truth, people are always going to like, you know, they're going to gravitate towards your stuff. Yeah, they're going to um, like real recognize, real type of like sure. scenario. Yeah, yeah definitely. That's super cool. And what, what drew you to jiu-jitsu, man? Obviously, that's how, how I got to meet you. And, mm. um, you know, like you've, you you hold a, a special place in a lot of people's hearts, at, you know, at our club and uh, in the jiu-jitsu community. At, you know, what made you one day go, I want to know jiu-jitsu? <laughs> so, man, how did I start? So I did karate for a little bit. Um, when I was younger, back in Africa, we, man, me and my friends would like uh so when people grow beans and they harvest, there's like little beans that drop on the soil. So me and my friends would literally pick, go in the garden where they've already harvested and pick the beans one by one until we get like a cup full or two. And then we'd go and sell it to this hospital. And then they'd give us like a dollar or two. And then we'd go, we'd either watch like, uh, go and watch like um, Kung Fu movies or like uh, the Premier League. So... I used to be obsessed with like those like really old Chinese movies like uh, The Snake in the Eagle's Shadow, The Drunken Master, like these like super low quality films. <laughs> so I've always loved like martial arts. So when we came to Australia, I did karate for a bit. When the Brotherhood was the, at Strength Republic, I was there. That's where I met Lynchy. Yeah. And um, yeah. So and then um. I started going with Lynchy to uh, Soul, uh, Soul Fighter with Fabrizio. I only trained for like a few months. And um, to be honest, at the beginning, I just didn't really love it that much. I just went because like Lynch would pick me up. I think he he was giving me like driving lessons. I drive there sometimes and like, so. Matthew Lynch. Yeah, man. So not, not all heroes wear capes, <laughs> do they? Nah, he's a legend. Bro. What a man. Yeah, dude. So. I, and then, um, you know, I took a few years off it, a lot. Because when I was training with Lynchy, I'm pretty sure he was like a, either like a white belt or a blue belt. Dude, it just saddens me, man. If I kept going, man, I'd be a weapon. But I just stopped. That was <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't that long ago? He just, dude, I was like uh, maybe like maybe like 16 maybe. I don't know. Holy shit. So you would have been like on your L's? Yeah, dude. Oh, dude. Holy shit. Dude, that's one of my Did you be a brown belt? I know. But yeah, because I remember at Soul Fighter, um, I'd go with Matt Lynch. And then I think, I don't know if uh, Grace probably doesn't remember, but he trained there as well. And he was just like, he was folding everybody, beating them up. He, yeah, like he was just so strong, man. And um, yeah, every single day I'd get beaten. No, nothing's like, changed either. Nah. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, there's no way I'm ever going to get good at this thing. It doesn't really make sense to me. But, uh, yeah, the way I got back into it, I was li- I started listening to a lot of, like, Joe Rogan and, like, uh, what's his name? The Discipline Cause Freedom guy. Um, Jocko jo- Willink. Jocko, yeah. And um, I was like, man, like, this dude's like, maybe I should give it another go. And so when I came back to Newcastle, I messaged Lynchy, and he's like, oh, come to um, Gorilla. And then I was like, then I was loving it, bro. I'm like, this is so much fun. Like, I feel like it's making a bit more sense. 
And um, Gorilla also are also another epic environment. Yeah, dude, they're just yeah. good people, man. And like, I just don't like running in warm ups. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Tari. Love you, buddy. Uh, nah, man. But yeah, so and then Lynchy opened his gym, and I just first day it opened, I was there, bro. And yeah, like just I'm, I just love him, man. And like listening to like Lynchy and uh, Gresso and like. Even when they were on this podcast and talking about their struggles about with jujitsu, I was like, man, like, I I shouldn't feel down. Like, I'm gonna be getting beat for the next while, so just accept. Turn up. It's crazy because yeah. you know, like, you know, we all look at them like they're somewhat gods, right? Yeah. You see them go far out, and then you hear Grosso talking about, oh, man, I don't think I should be in this MMA arena, yeah. and I'm not that good. And I'm like, dude, you, you know how scary you are. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Same with Lynchy. Like, you look at Lynchy now, like he. He's a byproduct of the time and effort that he puts into it, man. Like the guy is obsessed with yeah. jiu-jitsu and it shows. And we are all so lucky to reap the rewards of guys like Grayso, James, Lynchy, Chato, like Bobby. We're so lucky. Like Bobby's made sacrifices to move to another state. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like Chad's been doing jiu-jitsu since 1972. Like, it's <laughs> 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 Oh, man, no, dude. They're, they're good, but they deserve it. It's not, you know, it wasn't. They worked hard for it. And just like the high school, just like learning English, mm. just like getting through uni, mm. it just takes time of you've you got to suck a bag of dicks for such yeah. a long time. <laughs> I'm sorry to anyone who listens to this, and I swear <laughs> so much, and reference dicks. But, um, yeah, like it's it's just time, man. And mm. I think that's the one thing what we're all, all chasing is um, three, three nights – out of five, you go to jujitsu. It mm. sucks, but that one night you drive home and you get that guillotine, yeah. or you get that heel hook, or you get that move of the night. Yeah. The high that you drive home on is addictive. It's so good, and it's what keeps you coming back for those mm. other three nights that you get dicks in the face. Like mm -hmm. it's, it's so addictive. Yeah. But I didn't know that you started jujitsu that early, <laughs> and, and you and you like you knew Lynchy that long ago. Yeah, dude. Nah. I just, yeah, definitely regret not continuing with it. But it's just, I was super young, you know, like I was playing a bit of soccer. And yeah, jiu-jitsu, just, I just always thought like striking is so much more fun. Like I don't want to be wrestling dudes and, you know, I, <laughs> I want to be able to kick, man. Because when I did karate, man, I had good kicks, dude. I could spin, I could do crazy things. It's crazy. I think anyone that has that soccer background yeah. has good kicks. Like my buddy uh, Nathan Pepper, his brother Jacob Pepper played for the um, the Jets and played for the Brisbane Raw. Mm. And then um, Nath was actually really good at soccer but, you know, liked partying and, he opened up businesses and travelled and stuff like that. Mm. And Nath, um, about two years ago, was like, "Man, I'm gonna like, I'm sick of just just training at the gym. I'm gonna start Muay Thai. I've always wanted." To, and dude, this guy's got the lethalest kicks. Yeah. But you can tell because of the way their hips open up <laughs> yeah. with like kicking a soccer ball. Yeah, and it's like scary. They're like baseball bats. So I no. could only imagine what your legs would have been like. Dude, no, I was savage. Yeah, and I did a bit of um, uh, tricking and parkour. So like, Sick. yeah, dude. So like, yeah, me, like, I think, yeah, when I was in high school, I did a lot of that. I just, but yeah, man, I'd, yeah, jujitsu, bro. That's the way it's at right now. I wish I. And we're, and like, that's the, the suckiest part about this lockdown for, I guess for all of us, mm. um, you know, especially for Grayso, like Grayso had his, his knee injury and then Sydney mm. went into lockdown. Like, you know, you, it's, it's a special place with, you know, 
crew of dudes that you're going to war with, but mm. you know you love these guys so much, and you learn together, and you go through. You know, it's mm. it's it's awesome, man. Like I'm, you know, so grateful for what we have, and I look forward to it opening back up. And mm. I was even going to message Lynch today and say, "Hey, man, just put my payments back on. Like, you know, I, I don't want anything to jeopardize us getting out of lockdown and yeah. and maybe not having run in there because mm. you know it's." A big part of my life now Dude. and the crew that are there it's not ronan is literally filled with like it literally just started but it's filled with so much talent and like yeah like we do we're getting like new people there every single day and it's it's just so much fun bro like i remember when i first started like it just it's so different to anything i've I had ever done like you know at the beginning you have no idea what to do you don't know how much effort to put in like you're not fully expressing yourself yeah. bruce lee would say yeah like yeah you're holding back it's dude it's what's uh what's bruce lee's favorite drink what <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. sorry bro <laughs> classic dad i'm becoming jokes. a dad dude yeah oh, <laughs> uh, and yeah we're, we're we're super blessed man we're super lucky and um it's a special time like not only is there some great talent and knowledge across the mats, name me one person who you like. I wouldn't have a beer or a coffee with that guy mm. or that girl. Like, yeah, no, they're awesome, mate. I've like it's it's special. Mm. Same as like you know, gorilla for me. Yeah. Like for me moving out here, you know, it's just a lot easier for me to get to to Broadmeadow. And as I said, I don't like running and warm so. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's like same as a gorilla man. It's just like you know, like I started. With Adam and G and, you know, I got my, my blue belts with those guys and, you know, a big part of, you know, the journey is, you know, I hate not seeing G all the time, but obviously he's powerlifting now. Mm. Um, you know, Adzi comes across and cross trains at, at Gorilla. Um, but, dude, like when I started with, with those two guys, I started the same week as them. Mm. Both of them were built like like tree twigs. Yeah. You know, 62 kilos. Adam was like a yoga guy like you think he can fold himself in half now like that guy was f stupid I'm like you can't do that around me man my oh, muscles hurt looking at you stretching <laughs> and g was you know refing high level the top level soccer in in um in newcastle mm. super f you know fit like super skinny yeah. and um and i look at those guys now and i'm like holy they're fucking like those two guys now if they went back to february 2018 when we first started they would beat the fuck mm. out of those two guys uh, in all aspects of life, like confidence, the confidence mm. that I've seen those two boys grow, mm. physicality, like the way that they've grown, like everything has grown in their lives because of taking the, taking the step to walk on those mats at Gorilla. Mm. Man, uh, Jiu-Jitsu is special, bro. It's made me a much humble person, man. Mm. It's had a massive impact on me, the way I look at humans, you know, the way i respect myself and respect other humans as well mm. super crazy man it's a it's a very special sport definitely it doesn't matter how strong you think you are like when you get on the mat you're definitely gonna get humbled and you gotta there's nothing you can do about nothing. it nothing <laughs> that little matt clark he fucks, <laughs> fucks my life up and it's like i said to him the other night and i was just like dude if we walked down the street people would look at us and they would be like oh that guy's bigger so you know Bigger, more athletic, like, dude, it's like, but he's the badass. Yeah. 
and he's like real estate agent, <laughs> tiny. Like, no, you're not tiny, Matty. But yeah, it's it doesn't discriminate, does it? Yeah, no. Doesn't doesn't matter. Mm. You put the time and reps in, you you know advance yourself with you know good teaching and around you know good training partners. You're gonna be a badass. Sure. Now, mate, as you know, on this podcast, we do get to the point, um, and you've shared some absolute gems with wisdom. And I think if you listen to this podcast and don't look around you and have some sort of gratitude for how blessed and lucky you are in life, then you've got some problems. But, um, <laughs> but mate, I want you to depart us with with some slam poetry. Um, it doesn't matter how long it goes for. Give us, uh, give us something special, man, because you know this is uh, this is your thing, and I love it, man. So um, whenever you're ready, drop it on so, us. Um, okay, I just don't know which one to do. Okay, like how about you pick? So I've got one called from Nakivale to Newcastle, and I've got one which people normally like. It's uh, it's about my future son when I have a son. Well, being a dad uh, mm. in February coming up, I would like to say what you'd like to say to your future son. Okay. <clears throat> My son, I am waiting for you. The day you grace earth, I will rejoice. I will hold you in my palms, protect you from harm. I will sing songs sung by my mother when I was born. I will write and recite you a thousand poems to remind you that you have a home. Son, my love for you is built on a stone never to be shattered or torn. And as your father, I will never conceal to express my pride in you. My genetics, you are my little universe. And your body holds essence of generations before me. My good parts are your inheritance. And I will guide you to avoid my rugged tenements. Daily I will send a million altitude of gratitude to God. For sending his son to die for my son. And son, let me tell you, you are not an accident. For these poems are prophecies of echo promises exposing my heart to you. So as we begin this exodus of us exploring this rusting life, forgive me when I am weak and disappoint you. When I am no longer your superhero, talk to my father in heaven. But remember... You are embedded in the left region of my chest and I will love you till my body goes to rest and child. Your existence invigorates my soul to the core. Introduction of contemplation of you when I was a teen. Back then, life was tough without a father. When I had big questions and grand decisions, I imagined you asking me for advice and I took the advice I would have given you. They say the boy is the father of the men, and you have been my splendid silent teacher. You have sculpted me into a man, even though I am yet complete, my roots dig even deeper. 
So little boy, I will raise you into a man, teach you to flex more brains than biceps, open more books than Facebook. In this world of desensitized youth, I will fight with you. In this world of materialized women, I will send lullabies of chivalry. In this dark, deceiving, desolate world of devils disguised as disciples delivering poison passions in portions, I will search for the light with you. Wow. Wow. It's my future son. Brother. <laughs> Thank you. Love you, my man. Thank you. That bro. was beautiful. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me, bro. Legends, make sure you like and subscribe on all your podcasting platforms and head over to Instagram and check us out at to the point underscore podcast.